Welcome to episode 564 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Well, Richard, we did it again. We keep kind of messing up the schedule. Uh, our lives just don't seem to get any less insane. Yeah. I'm hoping that's Both of us this soon. week. Both of us had yeah. complications. So no live show this week, but we wanted to get an episode out because we missed last week. And as a result, man, we have a lot to go through. So we should get into the feedback right away. Yeah. So these came in to our inboxes at entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com. And the first one's from Cody. On last week's show, Richard mentioned being disappointed in Synology photos, which made me realize you guys might be a good place to ask a question I've been putting off. We just had a baby, and I've been thinking I need a place for my wife and I to catalog our family pictures and videos. I'd love to be able to dump relevant media from both of our phones, as well as DSLR cameras, etc., and maybe add tags based on who is in the pictures or what the activity is. Any recommendations? Well, Richard, do you want to start because you're doing a better job of this than I am? Oh, I don't know that I am. My stuff is just all over the place. One of the reasons that I really wanted Synology photos is because the bulk of my photos are on my Synology in one place or another. The things that I don't like about it are that you can't tell it where your photos are. You have to put your photos in the place that it wants you to put them in, which is just ridiculous. There's just, I don't know any other photos app that still works that way. I have, <laughs> I actually still have an instance of an old version of Mac OS that I run in parallels so that I can run Picasa. <laughs> <laughs> The desktop app Picasa that is no longer something that you can download because no new operating system is going to let you run it. Not enough bits. So when I, all of my tagging was in Picasa, all of my editing was in Picasa, and I haven't figured out how to convert that to something new. Now, I have tried a couple different things, and the one that I do want to bring up is ACDC Photo Studio. I know I've talked about that in the past. I was looking at this. It's available on Mac and it's available on PC. The Mac and PC versions are still different for some reason. They don't have them kind of running parallel in feature set, but they let you tag like crazy and they do a really good job of capturing and allowing you to filter by all the different EXIF information and anything else that you might have. They do a fairly good job of reading tags that might have come in from other sources as well. So that is something that I have been playing with. I know when we first talked about it, I was a little bit miffed that you had to log in to use the app. But in fact, you don't. There is a way to install it and use it that does not require you to actually make any sort of account connection because I thought that was unnecessarily invasive. I don't really want some I don't I don't want a service having access to the photos that I want to maintain locally. So 
It can read off of the NAS, which is great. And I'm going to be experimenting a little bit more with that to see what I can ultimately do. How about you, Josh? What do you do? You do anything specific with your photos? This is an area that I've spent the last twelve years being lazy about. <laughs> so, and I say twelve years because my oldest kid is thirteen. I was just going to so. <laughs> say, as long as you've had photos to file of your kids, yep, pretty much. So I. A couple of years before my kid was born, uh, I, I started getting a little bit more serious about taking photos and, and storing them. So I signed up for Flickr. And so I've got a few years worth of photos on Flickr. I still do. I'm still paying for that because I've been so lazy about this. Uh, but then when we moved into the smartphone, I know, <laughs> I, I, I kind of wish everybody could see the look that Richard just gave me. Uh, but when we moved into the smartphone age, I, I, I got lazy, but in kind of a good way and not completely lazy. So Microsoft OneDrive will automatically back up all of your photos to OneDrive from your phone. Google will also do the same thing. And my wife and I have been Android users for quite a while now. And before that, we were Windows Phone users. So we just kept doing that. So we, we have our, both of our phones are set up to automatically upload to OneDrive and to Google Photos. But, you know, as much as I've got that loyalty to to Microsoft and, and to OneDrive and, and I pay for an Office 3, sorry, Microsoft 365 subscription now uh, to get the extra storage for holding all of those photos and stuff, Google Photos is so much better of an experience. Uh, you know, just opening up the app on our phone and it already knows who everybody is. And if I want to find a picture of my youngest daughter, she's there as you know a, a person that I can say, show me all of the pictures of this person, or I can search for things and the search is really good. So I'm backing them up in two places. That's about the extent to what I'm doing. And it's been good enough for me. Mm -hmm. Because it's super easy to find the photos on our phones, and the you know we we can easily make uh, a collection of photos like an an automatic collection sort of thing that'll show up on our Google Nest Hub devices, so that we're seeing the cool photos that we care about of like our family and and friends and stuff. So. It works. That's what we're doing right now. I wish I had a better solution than that, but that's really all I've got. Because I know, like, you, you talk about wanting to tag and all that stuff, but, dude, you probably take a ton of photos. And yep. when are you going to find the time to tag all of that? Yeah. 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 Fair Especially enough. with a new kid in your life. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I wish I had a better answer. Uh, than just, uh, well, be lazy and let Google and Microsoft handle it for you. Yeah, you, you. it's funny. I forgot to even mention that as an iOS user, of course, then I have Apple's capturing of the photos that I take and its attempt to store those, which has been less than perfect, but also does that whole automatic categorization and highlights and all that stuff. And that's in addition to all the stuff that I have on the server. And it's just a mess. It's a big, big mess. All right, let's move on. We also have a message from David and David says, I heard you guys mention the sofa baton X one 
on the last episode. And instead of waiting for a Kickstarter that may never happen, you could buy the sofa baton you won on Amazon for $50. It's basically the same remote, except there's no hub. So infrared and Bluetooth only. And it does not have the assistant integration. The remotes work well. My only complaint is the buttons are a little small for my regular sized hand. He also says, small tip, if you have a Chromecast with Google TV, the remote is not in their database. I'm assuming he means the remote for the Google TV is not in the database. But if you add the NVIDIA Shield remote and then pair it with the Chromecast, it will control the Chromecast with Google TV perfectly. That's a good tip. It's a very good good tip tip. for our listeners. Indeed. Love the show. Thank you, David. Appreciate the information. I I had forgotten that Sofa Baton already had a remote out. This was something that was a a new product. I think we might have briefly mentioned that when I was balking at the fact that they were doing this over a uh, crowdsourced venue. But yeah, this is... This is interesting. I might end up having to test this. <laughs> you know, the the odd thing for me on this one is David wrote to us saying, don't buy the X1, just go buy the U1. And really mm-hmm. all it made me do is want to buy the X1 even more. <laughs> like Because he's validated that this company is pretty decent at making remotes. And I like the features that are in the X1. And it's super cheap through the Kickstarter campaign. So maybe I should just do it. Maybe. I think think I might. I'm not going there. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you for the listener feedback uh, over the last couple of weeks. We'll hope to get more in the future. But let's jump into our news. And like Richard said, we've got a lot. So some of these we're going to try and go quickly through. Even the ones... Ah, the sad ones, the very sad ones. So on the last episode, we talked about Lowcast, a really cool service that allowed you to stream over-the-air local broadcast networks and that they had been taken to court. And, well, before we even publish the show, like in between us recording it and publishing it, Lowcast basically voluntarily shut themselves down temporarily while they were you know, uh, going through the court process. Well, unfortunately, yesterday, September 15th, the federal judge made his ruling and issued a permanent injunction against Locast. Permanent. That means it is toast. Locast is not coming back. They can attempt to appeal, but uh, I don't have a good feeling at this point. And I'm sad. Like I had been waiting for this service to come to my area and it never did. And now it never will. Yeah. I, I'm very frustrated by this and I, I didn't know about the permanent injunction. The timing on this and how quickly it all happened is just kind of insane to me. I mean, things like this usually go on forever and ever. And that this all happened so fast is nuts. I hope I hope there's still a, an opportunity for them to do something but who knows I'm very disappointed. Uh r- real quick before we get off of this uh, the the link that you'll find to the story in the show notes is to the streamable and 
I, I can't help but read one of, one of the quotes, and I, I think they, they worded this really well. They said, on Monday, Fox CEO Lachlan Murdoch danced on low-cast grave by saying, clearly the court loss for the rogue piracy business low-cast was an important one for us. <laughs> rogue piracy business. Okay, let's calm down here, folks. That's a little over the top, but yeah, I'm, I guess that's what yeah. they're supposed to do. I'm just sick of that. All right. Well, let's move on to happier things. So after Apple had their big developer conference this summer, we talked a little bit about the new features that were coming to different media consumption platforms that they offer, including their mobile devices and Apple TV. And now we have some more specifics about dates and stuff like that. So tvOS 15, the new update to Apple TV and the Apple TV 4K. Uh, actually, Apple TV HD and Apple TV 4K specifically. This is coming on September 20th, so just a couple days from now. It includes a bunch of new features like spatial audio with your AirPods and AirPods Max, so or AirPods Pro and AirPods Max, rather. So if you are using those to watch your Apple TV, it'll do that thing where as you move your head, then it's going to keep the spatial audio at the front of the room and you'll hear things move around. I had that happen while I was like listening to the Apple event this past week on my phone. And I turned my head and suddenly Tim's coming out of one ear and it was the freakiest thing in the world. <laughs> Cause I swore the, the sound was actually coming out of my phone, even though I had my headphones on, it was so weird. So, so weird, but really cool. Additionally, they are adding the ability to kind of more permanently pair the HomePod Mini to the tvOS devices as your stereo pair or single audio. You don't ever want to use a single HomePod Mini with your TV. It's going to sound terrible, terrible, but it'll sound a little bit better with two of them. and. Finally, it's going to be adding shared with you, the section that has all the stuff that people have shared with you that are video oriented. You'll be able to get to that in just one place, just like you can on the mobile devices that are also going to be getting an update with this feature. Cool, cool stuff. Now, one of the big things they talked about before was share play and share play is that ability to kind of do that co-watching on the same service with someone else in a different location. This is really cool because it's going to do the whole thing where like it keeps it in sync and it pauses it and it works across a whole bunch of different services like Apple TV plus and Disney plus and Hulu and HBO max and a bunch of other things with plus in their names. And it's not going to likely be in this first release. SharePlay is one of those things that they haven't really been able to get working the way they want it to in the beta releases. So we do not expect that that will be included when this comes out, but it'll be in a later update sometime later this fall. Okay. Well, thank you for reminding all of us what they had announced previously this summer and letting us know that it's right around the corner. Okay. A couple of quick updates. Uh, first up, if you have an Xbox and you use movies anywhere, which you should. If you listen to the show, you should be using the Movies Anywhere service. They're releasing an app for the Xbox. And 
when I first saw this, I thought, who cares? Like, we've got voodoo. We've got other ways of watching things. But I think this is actually kind of good. So very quick recap. Movies Anywhere is the service that, if you're in the U.S. at least, allows you to take all of the different services where you've purchased digital movies and join them together, whether that's uh, Apple, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Vudu, all of those places. You link all of those accounts together and you can see most, you know, the vast majority of the content that you've purchased in those places all in one service. And Movies Anywhere has now made it their own app on the Xbox. It's always been on mobile and things like that. And it's a nice way to curate your library and, or at least see what you've got and stuff. But now you can use it on an Xbox, which means that you can also use a couple of the the other cool features that they have. One is the Watch Together app that so many services released last year, allowing you to watch something at the same time as, in this case, uh, up to nine other people all watching at the same time and having a chat a session going on. And the other really cool feature that I think they have, Screen Pass. This is the ability for you to basically share movies that are in your library with other people. It's a limited library and all of that stuff. But if someone sends you a share pass or a screen pass from their device to you, then you can pick that up and start watching it on your Xbox, on your giant TV. So I think it's really great. Uh, at least I think the idea of it's really great. I haven't used it on my Xbox yet. I have to imagine this looks pretty good because I think their mobile app looks really good. So I'm hoping that they kept a lot of those same design cues on the Xbox app. It's funny. You mentioned that your first response was, eh, so what? My first response was, wait, it's not there already. (laughs) I didn't realize this because there is an app for Apple TV. And the app for Apple TV is actually pretty good. So I was happy to see this. I think that I want to I see this on more TV 10-foot devices because I think that it definitely adds value for consumers. For sure. All right. Well, um, while we're talking about adding value, sometimes you have to pay more for added value. And Hulu is doing something that I don't think they have actually ever done before. Maybe I could be wrong on that, but Hulu is raising their prices by a dollar, a whole dollar. So your $5.99 plan with ads, it's going to be $6.99. Your $11.99 plan without ads is going to be $12.99. This is going to take effect on October 8th. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on Hulu. I don't have any problem with this. What are no, your thoughts? No, I, I I think this is totally fine. It, it's one dollar. Uh, they're not doing it anywhere near as frequently as they're increasing the price of their live TV service. And uh, most importantly to me, the bundle price is not increasing. Oh, the bundle that includes the ESPN and Disney Plus stuff. Correct. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Even though ESPN Plus's price has been increasing. We announced that just recently. So, yeah. Okay, well, let's get on to a streaming device. Amazon uh, had their big event uh, last week where they announced all of their entertainment device, uh, you know, new versions of those. And that, of course, meant 
uh, a new Amazon Fire TV stick. And this one is the Fire TV Stick 4K Max. The the naming here is getting a little ridiculous. And <laughs> you obviously didn't watch the recent Apple announcements. <laughs> no, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> but, I mean, like how many more words or phrases can they tack onto the title of this thing? But yep. it it is it is a nice looking device. It it's the the stick form factor that we all know and love. Um, but you know, it's very similar to the Fire TV Stick 4K which is 50 bucks. The the enhancements here, it's got Wi-Fi 6, which they say is going to make your streaming smoother. Um, I, I'm not sure that that's completely accurate, but Wi-Fi 6 is better for networks that have lots of devices, so that's cool. It's got a faster processor. It's got more RAM uh, than the 4K, and that, that does allow some added benefits, like they're going to support Amazon Luna, which is Amazon's game streaming service. So you can use just this Fire TV Stick 4K to play uh, games through their streaming service. So that's cool. Because it's a Fire TV Stick 4K, it still has all of the things that we really want from a higher-end streaming device like HDR10, HDR10+, Dolby Vision, and Dolby Atmos. So you're getting your HDR video and your spatial audio, so that's key and awesome. And then the other uh, neat new feature, at least if you're fully into the Amazon smart home ecosystem, uh, new feature called Live View Picture-in-Picture. So if you're watching a movie using this device on your TV and someone rings your Ring Video doorbell, then it will display picture-in-picture style uh, the the feed from your Ring Video doorbell without interrupting what you're watching, which is cool. Definitely cool. Definitely cool. Very much like what the, the Apple TV offered last year. It's unfortunate that it's limited to just Amazon's devices. Yeah, for sure. But also completely expected. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And of course, like the Fire TV Stick 4K, it includes a voice remote control with a big blue button to call upon Amazon's voice assistant, whose name we will not say so that we don't set off all of your devices. Uh, This will be available October 7th, and it's only $5 more than the existing Fire TV Stick 4K at $55. So a really great price for a, a device that sounds uh, really good for most people's use case. Like if you're in the Amazon Fire TV ecosystem, this is the new device to get, I think. Yeah, I don't like the pricing. I don't like the pricing because I am, you know, I have no inside information, but it wouldn't at all surprise me if this, in fact, was just going to be the next generation of the Fire TV Stick 4K. And with all of the sourcing issues that we're seeing around the globe right now, they realized it was going to be more expensive to make. So rather than having it replace the 4K, it is just going to be an addition to the 4K, and now it's better than the 4K one, and you have to pay for that. That It just, it just smells a little bit to me. Would you have been happier if they would have gotten rid of the 4K, actually actually replaced the 4K with this, and 
use the $55 price point? Nope. Kept it at 50 bucks. I don't know. I mean, we're seeing so many devices. In fact, we're going to talk even more later in the show about other devices seeing price increases because it's hard to get supplies right now. And the cost of all of those things are increasing. So Totally understand. I, I don't, totally understand. I, I wouldn't have had a problem with that price going up to $55. It's still pretty competitive with what you're getting. It's still a third the cost of an Apple TV 4K. Yeah, I I, I don't like it. I, I don't like that they're raising prices. It's Amazon. And, you know, I don't want to call up, but I'll do it anyway. The zero taxes that they pay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, true. Absolutely. Like they, it's not like they need more money, but that's the situation that we're in and everybody else is doing it. And that's how businesses stay in business by raising prices when their supplies cost more. So yeah. All right. One last quick one. Uh, Amazon also, as part of this event, announced their own brand uh, uh, Omni. They're, They're calling these Omni TVs. They're basically doing the same thing that some of their partners have been doing, which is take a TV and stick Amazon Fire TV guts inside of it. They're just branding it themselves. They're exactly what you would expect. 43, 50, 55, 65, and 75-inch 4K TVs with prices ranging from $410 to $1,100. I don't see anything special about these. They're 4K, they're HDR, and they have Amazon Fire TV stuff in them. I can't imagine that the picture quality and features and things like that are going to be better than what some of the other companies out there are doing, like Vizio, TCL, uh, Hisense, uh, which I, I think would be their their closer competitors. I, I don't yep. think you would really compare this to like the Samsungs and the LGs and, right. and the Sonys. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I. I- I'm fine with this. I think this makes a lot of sense. Frankly, I'm surprised that they hadn't done this earlier. This seems to align with their approach toward hardware to eventually get their own brand of stuff out there. I am curious who's manufacturing these, and I don't know if we know that yet. But the pricing, I think, is fine. It's competitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, These are initially just going to be available through Amazon, but... They should shortly also be available through Best Buy and maybe some other retailers uh, before the holidays. I do think it's funny that they gave them a new brand called Omni when you know that this is really just an Amazon Basics TV. Right. (laughs) Right? Well, you really probably don't want your TV to say Amazon Basics. I'm sure that you don't. And that's why they called it Omni. (laughs) But that is exactly what this is. All right. Well, let's move on to some audio news. And tonight... All of the audio news is from Sonos. It is indeed. And the first item is that they are updating their Beam soundbar. You you may remember that the Beam soundbar was the lower price, smaller soundbar that's kind of just perfect for a bedroom situation. It's much smaller. You don't really need to hang it on the wall or or have a whole lot of space for it. It's probably actually going to be thinner than the TV itself. and they're adding Dolby Atmos to the new version of this. So I'm really excited to see this because I think that Atmos is one of those things that 
has been missing in a lot of Sonos homes. So if I remember correctly, I think the Arc can already do the Dolby Atmos stuff. So now this adds that capability to the new generation of the Beam speaker. It is going to have a faster processor. It works with your, or it, it has the ability to have an assistant on board if you want to turn that on either Amazon or Google's, just like the last generation. It connects with eARC, which is how it the last generation connected. It's 450 bucks starting available on the 5th. And you may be saying, hmm, is that more expensive than the last one? And I think it is. It is. By about $50. So now let's talk about Sonos and pricing. Sonos is raising their prices again. On just about everything they make. Yeah, seriously. So the Sonos One, which is the successor to the Play One, which has been $200 or $199 from pretty much day one that it was introduced, is now going up in price to $220. The Arc that I just mentioned, which is the large soundbar, was $800. It's going up to $900. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> going up by $100? Yeah. Yeah. $100. The 5 is going up another $50. So it's going to be $550. And the sub, which was $700, is going up to $750. And the amp is going up again for, depending on how you count, the third time. <laughs> Because the Connect amp, which the amp replaced, added a hundred dollars to the former five ninety nine or four ninety nine price, making it five ninety nine. Then about a year and a half ago, they bumped the price up by fifty bucks, and now they're doing it again. So now the amp is a seven hundred dollar product. Man, yikes! Wow, yikes! Oof. So are you as mad about Sonos increasing their their prices as you were about that Fire TV Stick 4K Max? Oh, absolutely. And they keep doing this. It's not like they can claim, oh, well, you know, COVID and disruption. No, they have been raising prices on their products from generation to generation and just periodically because they can for years. But hasn't haven't most of their price increases been limited to their more niche products like the amp and things like that? Because most people aren't buying a Sonos amp. Lots of people are buying the Sonos One. Some right. of them are buying the Sonos Five. Of course, there's people who are interested in the Arc and things like that, and people who are buying that are, are getting the subwoofer. But uh, aren't most of the price increases that we've been seeing been been relegated to those more niche devices? They have been, but those niche devices are largely the higher price devices. And if you look at how they're doing this, I I have a theory here. My theory being that they are raising the products that are less for general consumers and more for higher-end installations, or even, in some cases, custom installations. So, yeah, I'm frustrated. I don't like this, but 
if it means they stay alive as opposed to going under as a company, then I guess they got to do it. All right, so let's move on to some gaming news. We had mentioned a couple of months ago that Sony had finally given beta users the ability to swap out their internal storage device with their own M.2 SSD to replace the rather small, it's roughly 860 gigabyte uh, internal drive with an internal drive of whatever size they wanted, up to four terabytes, I believe is the max. Well, previously that was only for beta users. Now it's been rolled out uh, as an official software update. So anybody with a PlayStation 5 can now do this. The other thing that they added is uh, 3D audio support through your TV speakers. Now they've had, since they launched the PS5, this 3D audio support through headphones. And now you're going to be able to do it through your TV speakers. And the thing that's actually really cool about this is that you can calibrate the 3D audio by using the microphone inside of the controller. So you just set the controller where you would normally be sitting or just hold it in your lap where you would normally be sitting to play and go through this calibration process and in theory get a nice customized 3D audio experience. Now, so smart. It's super smart, but it's also using your TV speakers. The 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 link that I've got to in in the show notes to Engadget on the the reporting of this kind of makes it sound like it's only going to work through your TV speakers. It wouldn't work through your home theater system. I don't know why that would be the case, but they also in the the messaging for this feature, like they say TV speakers. They don't say like connected speakers or anything like that. They just say TV speakers. Hmm. So I don't know if there's something weird there that that somehow limits it to only being through TV speakers. I hope not, because that would be a really not great experience. Like, just stick with your headphones, folks, because, wow, TV speakers are terrible. Yeah. Hopefully that's not the case. Uh, The other kind of downer thing here is that it's still really only for game audio. The, The PlayStation 5 does support Dolby Atmos, but only when you're watching a Blu-ray disc movie, not from streaming apps or anything like that, only for Blu-ray disc movies. So kind of disappointing. Sony, for whatever reason, basically kind of decided last generation that gaming is the main thing here. We don't really care that much about all of the other services, and they're showing it by really not fully supporting a lot of uh, the audio and video technologies that we want in a $500 impossible-to-acquire game console. Which is entirely ironic, considering that it was probably the PS3 that is responsible for Blu-ray being the standard that we have. Absolutely. Right. That is the weird thing. Like, Sony is, like you said, they, they, they make Blu-ray, they own the Blu-ray standard, they produce uh, and, and sell like the vast majority of the equipment used to film movies, the equipment used to produce movies and music, like they are a full stack from end to end uh, producer and and involved in the production of media. And yet their, their flagship 
media consumption device doesn't support a lot of the stuff that their own products can do. It's weird. Weird. But okay, that's the way Sony wants to play it. All right, so how about on the Xbox side? A couple quick ones here for you. Xbox app on Windows 10, and of course when Windows 11 comes out next month, has been updated, but you do have to have Windows 10 20 H1 or whatever the last official version was uh, to to get this version of the app. And if you do update the the Xbox app on your Windows PC, you're going to get two cool features. One is you're finally going to be able to do streaming from your Xbox Series X or Series S that you have on your local network to a PC. And you might be thinking, wait, what? Couldn't you, haven't you been able to do this for years? Yes, with an Xbox One. But when the Xbox Series X and S came out last fall, it didn't support local streaming for some reason. Well, now it's here uh, almost a year later. I don't know why it took so long, but it's here, so yay. And they've also bundled in the Xbox Cloud streaming into the Xbox app. You've been able to do it for a couple of months using a web browser on on your windows pc but now it's got a a really nice experience built into the xbox app so that makes tons of sense it's available now go and get it and then the other the last quick story here uh, on the surface like richard asked me like why are we even talking about this we're talking about an update to controllers who cares this is actually kind of cool so xbox is releasing a new firmware update for xbox one controllers this this isn't a series x and s controller thing this is for xbox one including the previous versions of the elite controller uh and the uh adaptive controller i think is what it was called uh and it's doing two bluetooth related things one they're they're building in support to have it actually use bluetooth le which provides for faster device switching so you can have it paired to a console and to like your phone or your tablet or your computer to use there over Bluetooth. And they had previously added that functionality where you could have it paired to both devices and then just double tap on the Xbox button to switch what it's actually connected to instead of having to go through the pairing process over again. And apparently using Bluetooth LE, it'll now make that switch between devices a lot faster. So that's cool. And then they also added support for this newer technology that's in the Xbox Series X and S controllers that's called Dynamic Latency Input, which I think is a really weird name for uh, a feature that's supposed to decrease latency. But it's a feature that's only for use with, with Xbox Series X and S devices. They're giving you this ability inside of your Xbox One controllers. So the thing that I think is super cool about all of this is Microsoft is saying, yeah, you know how we promised you that all of your devices would work? All of your Xbox One devices would work with a Series X? Yeah, we meant it. And we're still going to support them. Like we're still adding features to controllers that have been out for six years. That's pretty awesome. And no one else does this. So that's, I mean, it's just yet another example of Microsoft really being the the player of the three big players between Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo that is 
the most interested in actually making the best decisions for the gamers, not for their stockholders. And I think that's pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah. Although I'm really happy that my Microsoft stock is doing well too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, if if that tanks, then we don't have Xbox. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, they do need to keep those shareholders happy. Okay, Richard, let's get into what's going on in your entertainment center. Not as much as you might expect, actually. So obviously, I've been keeping up with Ted Lasso. I am up to date on that. A new episode will hit at midnight tonight, and there's a good chance I'm going to be watching it at midnight, actually. (laughs) I've been doing that a lot this season. The season has been so good. Really enjoying it. Big Brother, of course, is going on. I think I mentioned this. No, I don't know if I did, actually. Big Brother, the, the team of people that are playing Big Brother this year pulled something off that has never happened before. All the all of the remaining people in the house right now are people of color. Really? That has never, ever happened. At the beginning of the season, a bunch of people got together and purposefully decided, okay, we are going to stick together and make this happen. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's friggin' amazing because historically, and I know that I've complained about this when I talk about our entertainment center stuff, historically, the people of color are the earliest to get voted out. And I am just so delighted that this this team managed to pull this off and have guaranteed that they're a person of color will win Big Brother this year. I just love that. I mentioned previously that we are re-watching Penny Dreadful, so we're now in season two of that. One of my favorite shows that is out now and, and has uh, resurfaced is What We Do in the Shadows. Season three has started. It is very funny. I love this show. And uh, if if you're into vampires but would love to kind of look at it from just a really off-kilter comedic perspective, this show is hysterical. I highly recommend it. Continuing to watch The Expanse, I'm in season three. I completed season one of She-Ra and the Princess of Power. And so as far as I'm concerned, I'm done. I won't be watching any more of that. I It was fine. I didn't really like it that much. So I committed to watching the first season. So I'm going to be moving on. Lower Decks is in season two, and I'm enjoying that. But I'm a couple episodes behind on that. And watched one movie this time around. I watched the very, very highly publicized Amazon version of Cinderella. It was delightful. I can't believe that we still need to be retelling this story, but they did a great job. I thoroughly enjoyed it. If you don't like musicals, don't even try. You will hate it. We sat down, started to watch it. Edward was out in like 15 minutes. He's like, nope, can't do it. Can't just handle the breaking out into song thing. But it, I, I loved it. I thought it was very clever with a couple twists that are just kind of bringing the storyline up to date. And I thought it was fun. And then finally, and I think this is the best thing in this entire list. I started listening to Andy Weir's project. Hail Mary. 
oh, which I had recommended finally, to you finally months ago. I'm about a third of the way through, and holy crap, this is so good. <laughs> it really is. It's so good. It is so good. Andy Weir is the author who wrote The Martian, which I also love. Probably one of my favorite books of all time. I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend this. I don't even know how this story ends. I'm not even halfway through it, but I'm loving it. It's so good. I'm I'm glad you finally started reading it. Awesome. Okay. Well, for me, I've got kind of a load of surprises, I think. Um, I've barely played any games. I I, I think I played Call of Duty one night, uh, and that's about it. Uh, instead, I've actually been watching a lot of TV. Uh, Yay! I, I, I guess, yeah. So, because uh, I've been kind of frustrated with games. So it's like, forget it. I'm just going to sit on the couch, bring my iPad and turn on some TV like a normal person. And so uh, I, I decided, well, why don't I pick up where I left off with with Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime? I was like two episodes into season two or something like that. I've now got maybe two episodes to go in season two, and it's been pretty good. Uh, we also, Jen and I, got back to Ted Lasso this week. So Yay. we are, we're still in season one. I think we have two more episodes left in season one. Oh. And she was very upset at me for podcasting tonight instead of watching Ted Lasso. Like, <laughs> we, we're really liking the show. Really, really liking the show. And I, I know, I know we're super late to the game uh, because this was like the, the show of 2020, right? Like this was the show of the pandemic. And yep. as I was thinking about it, I feel like, 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 you know how, when someone is like, you should listen to this band, they've been amazing for a couple of years. And you're like, oh yeah, they are really, really good. Why am I so late to the game on this? That's kind of how I'm feeling about the pandemic in general, like around my whole life. It's weird. Like when the pandemic first hit, it's like, all right, so I got to work from home. Like, that's not so bad. Like everything, like this, this isn't that bad for me. I, I don't have that much to complain about is, is how I felt. And I never got around to Ted Lasso and I missed some of those things. And now, I mean, I, I still haven't got, I, I still haven't caught COVID. So that's really good, but it just feels like all of the other <laughs> bad things. But you of, are over this pandemic. For sure. For sure. <laughs> But it feels like so many of the other things that so many other people were experiencing throughout 2020, I'm starting to get hit with. And fortunately, one of them is Ted Lasso, because, yeah, you're right. The show is really good. And it, it's it's funny, which I know all of our listeners are like, what? Josh likes a funny show. Yes, I really like Ted Lasso. It's it's good. It's like a warm blanket. It really is. Yeah. 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 I, yeah that guy's so fun. Um, and then the other sort of surprising thing potentially is uh, I finally installed my antenna, but this was this required a little bit of work. So the the NFL season started this week, and I knew I was going to want to watch some football, and I was going to want to watch some college football, and so much of that is on network TV. So I was going to need an antenna because it's not like I could use Locast, um, and. You know, I've been an HD home run user for years. Well, the first problem was not the antenna. It was the HD home run because the HD home run has an Ethernet jack. It is not a Wi-Fi device. And 
Unlike my old house, which I had run Ethernet to lots of rooms, I don't have Ethernet anywhere in this house except for where, you know, the wire comes in. Exactly, at the router, which is in the basement, which means not anywhere near where an antenna needs to go. (laughs) Good point. So I decided that I was going to buy the, I think it's pronounced Velo Live-In. Uh, this is this might be a, a it's a new wireless mesh router system that you might have heard on about on other podcasts and stuff that is dirt cheap. A three pack of these things was seventy dollars. Yeah. What? Yeah. Like most individual <laughs> access points in a mesh system cost more than that. Right. Right. And when when I first heard about it, I was like, come on, there is no way this thing is going to be any good. But Kevin Toffel tried it out uh, for for the IoT podcast, and he said he actually really liked it. And he's a guy who uses an Eero Pro system at his house. So I was like, you know, if Kevin likes it, I think it's worth me dropping 70 bucks to give this thing a try, and which is half the cost of the router that I bought when I moved into this house. And so I bought it, I set it up and each of these wireless mesh systems have two ethernet jacks on the back. So I've got one in my office where I'm at now, which is on the second floor of my house, which is facing East, which is the direction where all of the TV towers are. And I was able to plug the HD home run into that wireless mesh access point. And plug my antenna from that window into the HD home run. It's not perfect, uh, but it, it at least proves the theory that it'll work. Uh, and now I should probably buy a better antenna so that I get better signal because it's not great on a couple of channels, but it works. And I'm back to having live TV over the air, which is Nice. Unfortunately for Jen, I did not get it set up in time for her to watch the Browns game on Sunday, but it'll be ready for this week's game. So, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And then a a podcast recommendation to throw out, although I'm a little bit confused about this one, to to be honest. So the uh, so over at um, the Daily Tech News Show and why am I blanking on the guy that does Daily Tech News Show? Tom Merritt. Tom Merritt, thank you. I don't know why his name fell out of my head, but Tom Merritt, uh, about a month ago, uh, did a thing with with his show where he turned it over to other people to put their own podcast in his feed to get them exposure. And I don't listen to Daily Tech News Show, so that isn't how I found out about this. But I do listen to a show um, called the SMR Podcast, which... I found last year when when we went digging for, hey, um, almost every podcaster I listen to is a white dude. Maybe I should expand right. my <laughs> my horizons right. here. Right. And and I found these guys and I listen to the to the SMR podcast most weeks now. It, it's a fun show. Well, one of the guys from that show, uh, Rob Dunwood, uh, got together with a couple of other people and started a podcast that had its first episode uh on th- that week of of the Daily Tech News show and they aired it they put 
this episode into the SMR podcast feed. And it's a new show called The Tech John. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. They never really explained what John is, but these, it was really, really good. The, like the, the focus of the show is how technology impacts the lives of people of color. And so like in this episode, they mostly talk about um, like algorithms that are used in like facial recognition and stuff like that and how abysmal they are for black people. Oh, like so, so like way worse than you might even guess. They're that bad. And they're funny. They're really, really educated about what they're talking about. The only thing that I'm confused about is I can't find an actual feed for this show yet. I want there to be one because I want to subscribe because this episode was really, really good. So I'm going to give you a link to that episode in the SMR podcast feed while I continue to try and find out if they've continued to produce this show because it was really good and I definitely recommend it to you. That's cool. Yeah. I wonder if this was kind of an experiment for them that they did as part of the experiment that Tom was doing. Mm. And they wanted to see kind of what the reception was to determine whether this is something that they would do as a regular episodic series. That could be. Maybe I missed that part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's cool. It sounds really interesting. Definitely, definitely check it out. All right. Well, that does it for this week's show. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on Twitter at Richard Gunther, at Josh Pollard, or at DigiMediaZone. There's all sorts of other places to get a hold of us. You can find all of that contact information plus our show notes over at thedigitalmediazone.com, where you can also find, hopefully coming soon, Richard's other show, Home On. What's, what's the latest episode of Home On going to be about? Coming soon. As I mentioned last time we spoke, I was going to be recording an episode with Matt Corey, developers, uh, the developer of the Signals app. We did record, but we recorded late just before I went away last weekend. So I did not get to produce it. And I'm, I am hoping to get that done this weekend so that it can be available next week for everybody. Awesome. Cannot wait to listen. All right. And we normally do this show live, normally Tuesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. But you all have been listening long enough to know that things have not exactly been normal with this podcast over the last couple of months. So hopefully we'll be back next Tuesday again at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. You can subscribe to us on Twitch where we do that show and get notified that way or follow us on Twitter and we tweet when the show will be live. All right, well, that's going to do it for episode 564. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.